This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court has ruled that transsexuals are covered by some pre-existing anti-discrimination law. Writing for the majority, Justice Neil Gorsuch writes that firing individuals merely for being transsexual violates Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Cato's Walter Olson, who does not toot his own horn, saw this coming. But Gorsuch... You know, if you were paying attention to Gorsuch, his record, and especially what he said at oral argument, it would not have been such a surprise. Most people apparently were very surprised, but Gorsuch has always been the justice who is for read the text and let the heavens fall around you, but you know, do what is your best interpretation of the text. And when the case was argued, it was framed by the very smart lawyers for Bostick as a textualist case. They said, look at the text of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, where it says because of sex, uh, and then just take that literally. And this was what Of course, Kavanaugh in his dissent said, you're taking this so literally. We can't be this literal all the time. You know, judges have to uh, read it in social context. They have to put themselves in the minds of what people understood it as meaning in in 1964. And, uh, but Gorsuch has always been loyal to the idea that if you can answer the question within the four corners of the document, whether it be a law or a contract or the Constitution, then you don't go outside that. So it was an argument perfectly pitched for him. All right. So um, this was, I don't know if it was you or someone else who characterized it this way, a surprise plain meaning case. I am proud of that phrase. I think that was my phrase. So let's let's go through some yeah. some of the facts of the case. This yeah. is a discrimination case in which it is claimed that uh transgender people fall within uh rules that govern discrimination. It's three cases and between them they bring up uh both uh gave and transgender employees. And the details differ a bit from case to case, but they are uh, a group of three because uh, they share a lot of the same characteristics. In particular, it's agreed that the discrimination was because of that. Uh, There aren't too many other factors uh, messing it up. It provided a clean uh, presentation of the question of whether sex as a word or because of sex uh, covers these situations or not. And the details of the three cases, again, were not what particularly made the case work for the justices. They referred to them in passing, but they were after the abstract issue here, which they knew was going to be important for many, many thousands of other cases. Okay. So what? Uh, who wrote for the majority and what was said? It was a 6-3 split. The majority was led by Justice Neil Gorsuch, and he was joined by Chief Justice Roberts, who was a little bit more of a surprise. It wasn't as clear that he was going to go with the uh, four liberals. And then there were two dissents, one by Justice Sam Alito, joined by Clarence Thomas, and another by Brett Kavanaugh, going off in somewhat different directions uh, with why they uh, couldn't go along with Gorsuch. All three of the opinions, both the majority and the two dissents, uh, 
grounded themselves in textualism. They all said, we are interpreting uh, the language of the statute and we are not bringing in social considerations and we're not bringing in philosophy or religion or social justice. We are reading the words of the statute. And all three of the opinions uh, uh, claimed the legacy of Antony and Scalia. It's fascinating, yes. <laughs> in in a way, well, you know, that for uh, you know, this is Justice Scalia's court, at least on this issue for now, because all three of them were fighting over his legacy. Uh, Alito was more colorful. He said that uh, the majority opinion flies the flag of textualism, but it is a pirate flag. And uh, of course, I immediately wanted to see a picture of Justice Gorsuch with an eye patch and a hook. You know, this should be his new swashbuckling image. And Kavanaugh was more restrained, and Kavanaugh kind of went out of his way to say, by the way, it's great that gays have made all these advances, and I'm all for that, uh, but this should be done legislatively. The way to expand a civil rights statute is to have it pass through both houses of Congress and have the president do a gala ceremony to sign the bill. Um, Alito was uh, more confrontational. He spelled out more of what he saw as the bad consequences as far as you know, you have destabilized what sex discrimination means in one law, and you can't keep this from rolling forward into dozens of others where there's now going to be litigation. Uh, you know, what does it mean since there are laws on the books about uh, housing and uh, you know many many other areas for sex discrimination? Uh, how are you going to handle those? And uh, Alito also predicted and. No one will be surprised if there are more cases with claims of religious exemption that come up now that the law has been extended this way. And Gorsuch talked about that too. And one of the sort of sleeper elements in the decision was that Gorsuch put in a lot of language about the potential clash between religion and religious observance and discrimination law. And it was very pro-accommodation language. He had very nice things to say about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. He had positive comments about a couple of the court's precedents in which they were very pro-religious uh, autonomy and, and religious accommodation. Now, that's interesting for a couple of reasons. It could be a signal of where the court is headed towards some sort of grand synthesis in which it hands down more decisions in favor of religious exemptions and accommodations at the same time that it kind of allows the spirit of the age to be felt on discrimination law. I find it kind of fascinating that he got all the liberal justices to sign on. None of them had a peep of dissent, not even a concurrence in which they raised any doubt about how warmly he spoke about religious communities' right to go their own way. So uh, interesting portents for the future there. All right. So we've already sort of seen this clash between discrimination law and religious liberty. Um, and in Masterpiece Cake Shop, in a lot of other cases that are in the pipeline. Okay. So uh, where do we go from here? What's the? Are there cases teed up now that uh, are likely to uh, be informed heavily by what occurred in Bostick? There is a case from Philadelphia, which the court took, which could potentially be quite big. The fact situation is that Philadelphia applied an anti-discrimination ordinance to kick Catholic social services out of the business of helping arrange adoption for kids in public care. And the 
court was asked to resolve whether or not this was constitutionally proper for Philadelphia to do it. I was a little surprised that they took it, and in particular, they seem to be using that case, which I think the conservative justices find quite sympathetic because it's possible that some kids will lose their placements if the Catholic charity is not allowed to proceed. But they are fastening onto that to perhaps develop a restatement or even a change in the way the court has approached religion. Everyone's going to be watching that case very closely. They might leave the law where it is, but it might also be a vehicle for them to toughen up the protection of religion. What has been uh, sort of the conservative commentariat response to this case? I mean, uh, Justice Gorsuch was presented as uh, being somebody who, uh, to borrow a phrase, have the backs of uh, conservatives. And uh, it, it seems that those who are I don't know, opposed to transgender rights in general or extending certain civil rights protections to uh, transgender people uh, would be really, really upset about this. The reaction has been interesting. And of course, there have been people who were expecting results from Republican judicial nominations. And uh, this is not the result they they got from Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, the most recent two appointments, they got opposite results. Now, a lot of people have been telling them all along that what you are getting with justices like Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are conservative philosophies, not necessarily conservative results, Uh, the same judicial philosophy. And as I said, it's remarkable how close Gorsuch and Kavanaugh were in their announced method they were bringing the same general announced philosophy to the case. So you've got some people who are disappointed on that. You've got mostly specialists who are claiming betrayal and saying that the project of appointing more textualist or originalist judges has somehow failed because it didn't produce the results they expected. I don't think that's necessarily the result that will last, though, because if you turn to the political realm, first, both the White House and the Senate uh, reacted more with shrugs than anything else. Senator Charles Grassley, for example, prominent Republican voice on judicial issues, basically shrugged and said, well, you know, it was headed this way anyway. President Trump, I wasn't sure I knew how he would react, but he reacted saying that it was a powerful decision and declining to criticize it, which I think is his reading of where he is and probably his reading of where the country is. So you've got specialized intellectual opponents who will seize on this to say that there is no longer a working alliance behind textualist or originalist appointments because we don't agree on what is supposed to be accomplished by that. But at the same time, I think that the that's kind of an argument between intellectuals, which may not have that much staying power. If you want to contrast reactions to court opinions, the contrast is between Roe v. Wade, which has been a live issue every single day since it came down, and Obergefell, which was greeted in some quarters as if it was going to be as big a deal as Roe v. Wade, and within a couple of years had just kind of faded. People did not want to go back and fight that war again, not only because abortion is different from letting people get married, but because you just aren't going to rally the troops the, the political process would have wound up in the same place, which is not necessarily true of Roe v. Wade. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. Cato Podcast.